privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. What is going on, everyone? Uh, sorry, you know, I'm going to start this off, okay? My fault that I got my times mixed up, but I was at my son's basketball game, so, but I, I rushed back and I heard my phone going off like crazy. I opened it and then <laughs> I see it's Michael. <laughs> He's freaking out on me. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever seen Michael actually run in his life. I mean, he's physically yeah. capable, but he, he was moving pretty quick. He was. He really was. <laughs> he, he almost hightailed it down here to Texas to find out if I was still out of heartbeat. I know that. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Welcome, uh, Rabbit and Red Radio special interview, uh, or I like to call them conversations. Uh, Adam Marcus, thank you so much. Uh, again, thank you for your time the and man, the uh, man, patience. The legend. Absolutely, guys. My pleasure. Not a problem at all. <laughs> Not a problem at all. Stuff happens. I know. Um, and of course, normal Cody, my uh, my co-host. Mm-hmm. So everybody caught us earlier this week, but now we got a special little episode for you guys. Um, Adam, I of course everybody knows you from um Jason Goes to Hell, but yeah. You know, there's so much more that you have done, my friend. I, I've looked into it. I was like, there's no way I can remember every. <laughs> I mean, uh, you go from editing to writing to like, uh, I mean, just yeah. so many on uh, so much on your resume. And uh, man, it is a, it's an honor to have you on here. Well, it's an honor to be with you guys. It really is. So, uh, Cody, I know you had a couple of questions for him. You probably already got him out of the way for the 20-minute delay. I was no, trying. <laughs> we were good. We were good. We just talked. We were just shit-talking movies and doing that kind of thing. So, not a oh, problem. Okay, I want to touch on that. You said 
No, no, I'm not going to go there. Not you don't want to go there. All no, right. I, you know why? You know why? Honestly, here's the thing. Look, okay. Uh, um, I I come from the point of view. You know, when when a filmmaker asks me to come in and look at a at a like a rough cut of something or something that's not finished yet, uh-huh. I am all about like you know, dice and slice the movie, try to help them fix the movie. I'll give all the notes in the world. When it gets out in the world, man, there's too many, there's too many armchair critics at this point. There's too many people who just tear movies to pieces. Yeah. And if I don't enjoy something like Cody and I were just talking about, like his experience with a particular movie, a recent particular movie was really positive. And I'm so psyched that he had that experience because I didn't have that experience, which sucks for me. But I don't want anybody else to have that. Like, there's like everybody is on a team now. Like, if you love something, like anyone who doesn't love it is an idiot, and if you hate it, anyone who likes it is a moron. And it's like, no, yeah. man, it's every everything's subjective. It, it you're you're one hundred percent correct because everybody looks through different lenses at um, these films. You bet. And, and uh, we just we just had a, a, a hashing out me and Michael J about the new Ghostbusters which sure. he did not enjoy. And I did. So, I mean, I you're, you're right. I love I, that. I, movie. I did too. It was great. Any, any movie, any movie that gets me to like punk up in the last 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> and like, I turn around in the Los Angeles audience. I'm like this, like jaded Los Angeles audience. And every guy in the theater is like, I'm not crying. Shut up. You're crying. I don't know. <laughs> uh, like, okay. That's- Real quick. I want to interject there. Uh, I took my whole family to see it. Me, the missus, and uh, all five children. Awesome. Uh, ages. Oh, man. And, and in the, like I said, the last five minutes of that film, there was not a dry eye amongst us. So yeah. you're doing something right when you can achieve that yep. with that variety of an age group. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. And And again, look, by the way, people get really persnickety about things like Ghostbusters because there's a, we have this long connection with it. Like there's, we get emotional, we're emotionally connected. So something isn't exactly the movie we want it to be. Again, we get like crazy. We get, we get pissed and look, you know, I can say that the Ghostbusters previous to this, the reboot um, uh, per se, um, it had nothing, you know, people people jumped on that movie. And of course, you know, then there was the idea of like, anyone who doesn't like this movie is sexist. Well, no, that's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah. A movie can just be bad. It has nothing to do with, like, for me, like Ocean's 8, all day long, man. Like, you you you, you turn that, the Ocean's, uh, you know, the Ocean's 11 uh, uh, idea on its, on its ear and gave us something that was really fresh and exciting and awesome. And the cast was amazing. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take all girls in this story. Why not? That's great. So an all girls Ghostbusters could have been great if they had made a good movie. Well, and that's the bad part. You know, I don't blame the cast, the director, right. you know, the, there was great talent involved. Uh, I mean, we'll never know for sure, but I mean, from what, and we've talked about it on the show before, Sure, uh, but you know, it's, the studio, yep, was probably when it comes down to it to blame for for that because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that go into making that soup, yeah. and and that soup can get a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Those, yes. <laughs> yes, well, you you would know better than us about that. Yeah, no, I, mean, I know. Uh, Trust me, uh, I know. <laughs> hey, let's let's put it this way. Do you know how many times I get blamed for the line? 
do your thing, cuz. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't write that. Yeah. I, I didn't write that shit. Uh, I, yeah. Somebody else wrote that. You know? Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, Texas uh, 3D. Texas yeah. Chainsaw 3D. Oh, yeah. No, my favorite my favorite line in that in that movie is when the girl from Chicago tells someone else, welcome to Texas, motherfucker. And I'm like, who? Who let her say that? Yeah. She's not from <laughs> Texas. Who let her say that line? That so, being said, yeah. it, and it depends on where you're at, but like, like I was telling you earlier, I, I yeah. was there opening night. Yep. Uh, for that, but that do your thing, cuz line. I mean, I, I was in the moment. You know, I was, I was in the it. movie. I, I dug it, it and the the whole theater. I looked behind me, and everybody's just. Yep. I I, I was I was on the, I was on the other end of it. I was like, yes. Well, it yeah. felt like something. It felt like something a fan would write. You know, pretty much. I right. I agree with you. I agree. But I'm telling you, my wife nor I wrote that line. And when we when we saw the movie, we were like, "What?" So I, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, my uh, one of my cousins was in that movie. Her and her husband, oh, cool. were around there, and uh, they're in the um, the carnival scene where everybody's oh, running. Awesome. Oh yeah. And what's funny? Yeah, they're extras, so they. <laughs> We watched it, and they're like, "If you look real hard, you can see us. We're running." Like, <laughs> That's awesome. I, was, I love. I that. was jealous. I was jealous as hell. I was like, "Damn it! I want to be in a Texas Chainsaw movie." I will tell you something. Um, that, that <laughs> sequence alone, like if you read our original draft, our original script of the movie, um, that sequence alone, you know, the, the, we wrote a movie for twenty million dollars, and then they went and they lost their money. And they had to go and get new money. So suddenly they had $8 million to make a $20 million script. Oh, and that scene, wow. just that scene alone, Leatherface kills over like 15 people in that sequence in our script. Like he just tears through people. And that's not in the movie. So again, we're sitting in the theater like, where's all the kills? Like there's a lot of yeah. kills in this sequence. Nope. It seemed like it, it. that's what I was waiting on. I'm like, oh crap, he's going to go in there and he's going to start slicing and dicing <laughs> everybody yeah, right, yeah. right. I was like, but the 3d worked great and what drives me no nuts, it did we why haven't we got or correct me if i'm wrong why haven't we got a 3d release of that yet i think there is now i think there is on um on voodoo um i think you can purchase the 3d on there i know what you're talking about like a blu-ray well there is a mm -hmm. blu-ray 3d there's a 3D I, is there yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay I, oh, yeah. I I I bought I, it when I'll, it first came out. I just remember there was no initial well, 3D you, release. You know the 3D thing; it was so big at one yep. time. Even the 3D TV and everybody oh, had yeah. to have that's, it. And now that's what we have. That's what we have. I I have one too. And yeah. then they stopped doing it. And I think they just. Um, oh man, I can't remember the film that just came out, and it has the the 3D Blu-ray. I was like, I, it took me back. I was like, shit, I hadn't seen that in like five years or so. I, well, like, I, think, I, I think I think we're going to get a new era of it because I'm pretty sure all of the um, the Avatar sequels are going to be in 3D. Oh wow, man! That yeah, all that, four of them. That's right. That's a lot, Dude, that, of, a lot of Avatar. That took a lot so of long. Lang. That took so long for it to go. Why is it taking so long? Well, it's dude. It's a good thing. He's making he's making four movies in a row. I will tell you this: um, one of my um, one of my closest friends from college, who's one of my college roommates, 
who also was my uh, Steadicam operator on Jason Goes to Hell, he's been working in the stop motion animation department on that movie for like a decade. Wow. Like oh, that's wow. all he's been doing. So he just told me, he's okay. like, yeah, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to be out of a job. Like we're wrapping up and I got to go get me another gig, you know, like, all right, brother. Um, it's like, I'll see if I can drum up some something for you. Cause he's a genius. guy's amazing. Um, but yeah, yeah. Those movies have been going on for forever, but that's going to bring 3d back. Yeah. I, I it's think what started, right. it's what started the craze in the first place. Hey, uh, Adam, I, I did want to jump on uh, back yeah. on this. We we're talking about uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Aren't you involved with a fan film you're producing? No, I no, I'm not. They, these guys, they, they I think they kind of did it as an honorary thing, and it's very sweet. But they like they, they've oh, got okay. me on the film. I haven't I haven't even read a script. I mean, I, I, I nothing. Um, oh wow. So, okay. Yeah, it's just really like they're very sweet, and that's that's nice. But I no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> producing. No, I don't. I, I don't make fan movies. I, I make the actual movies, um, and uh, and it's awesome when people make fan movies. And I I, I constantly contribute money to, to fan films, um, but I don't. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't make. I don't make I, fan films. Oh, okay. No, it just said producer, and I was like, "Oh, no, okay, no, no." And, and I, and I, you know, it's it's one of those things where I just go, "Guys, listen. If it helps you get your money together and whatnot, that's fine." But at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not making that. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, <laughs> you're like, I got too much experience. I'm sorry, no. Well, no, it's not. Even, it's not. Even, it's not an experience thing. Here's the thing, and it's and it's one of those things for those of us that have made these movies. You know, look. Um, making a fan film is awesome. I am all for fan films. I think it's actually a great calling card for the business. I think there are a lot of people who are making a career out of fan films, and I think that's a giant mistake. Mm -hmm. um, because eventually, you know, the studios can come and sue you. Like, they can send you a cease and desist. They can take your any profits you've made. And I know that none of these guys ever make any profits, but they yeah. do. <laughs> um, and, you know, your YouTube channel is going to get a boost on that. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's dangerous waters to play in. That being said, I think it's awesome when someone makes a fan film to try to get other work in the industry. That's a great calling card. So awesome. Keep doing it. Um, I mean, Vin DeSanti is a good friend of mine and he's a terrific guy. I've, I have said to him several times, like, dude, stop making fan movies. Like, yeah, he's been doing it for God, how long now? Yeah, I'm like, start, start doing some other stuff. But, but by the way, he's amazing. Like, he's an amazing dude and I'm, I'm psyched that he's making stuff and he's, and his stuff looks beautiful. Like, it's really well done. I just go, bro, spend that, spend that energy and that talent on something that you own and you can create your own slasher. Like, don't, Leave Jason yeah. alone. And, you know, here's why we're getting to this weird place where now fans want to call fan films canon and yeah. they want to call and they want to call a movie like Jason Goes to Hell. Well, that's not canon. Yeah. No, no, no. That actually is canon. <laughs> like I made an actual Friday the 13th movie. I didn't make something in my backyard with my friends. Yeah. So. And again, I'm all for making the movies in the backyard with your friends. I'm the first person to advocate for that. It's just, guys, that's not the actual movies. Sorry. So it's awesome. You love them. You should support them. You should watch them. You should, you know, you should do everything that 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 goes into the fandom of those films. But you do have to realize, like, you know, it, it, it's it's it, it gets into that weird area where, you know, right now it's very tough for independent filmmakers to make a living. 
because mm. there's such a glut of material. Um, but beyond the glut of material, you know, intellectual property is a big deal. And it's how those of us that have spent our lives being filmmakers, how we make a living. So it's a rough moment for, for those of us that are like, no, 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 we make, we make horror movies that go into theaters and that go on Netflix. And, and we can only amortize that stuff if that stuff stays special, mm. you know? And so when you see a glut of movies surrounding those films, it, it, makes the, it makes the characters less special. It really does. It reduces the value of those things. And that's tough, especially on horror movies, which, you know, if people want to keep seeing great horror movies get made and lots of money spent behind those films, we have to protect those. We have to protect that way. Yeah. No, I, I hear you on that. There is, like you said, there is a lot of it and it does kind of get, um, a little stale, but, yeah. um, you know, uh, I, I think with your movie, um, you know, uh, Jason goes to hell that just brought something way different to the table. And, sure. uh, and this is just my opinion. I know you've heard probably a million Please. people, uh, but with me, <laughs> I have, I have heard a million people talk about it. Um, no, just my take on it. Um, yeah. it's one of those movies kind of like Halloween three for me. Mm -hmm. You have, mm -hmm. it just, you grow fonder of it as, as the years go by. Cause going into it with my young eyes, when it first came out, sure. I was like, Jason was hardly in, you know, I was just like, what's going on. And as I got older, I started a pre, you know, oh, okay. He could have made a movie where Jason's just slashing up everybody like the hundred other movies, or can we get something a little bit different? I, and I, like I said, looking through different, you know, glasses now, I see the, the, you know, uh, the creativeness in it, just like Halloween. Thank three. You. Yeah. So well, I, I, mean, look, I just wanted to tell you that because that, that's you. how I, I, feel. I appreciate that brother. I really do. I appreciate that. And, and look, you know, the, the, uh, the funny thing is, you know, Halloween three is the only true, true sequel to yes. the first Halloween yes. because it's what John Carpenter wanted to do. He wanted to make movies that were tales of Halloween. He didn't want to make um, yeah. movies about Michael Myers. He had no interest in that. <laughs> That's why he didn't make any more of those. That's why the, 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 one of the greatest directors our genre has ever known, John Carpenter has never directed a second Halloween movie. He hasn't done it. He's yeah. produced them, he's written them, he's scored them, he's never directed another one. Um, and trust me, if John Carpenter came back to direct a Halloween film, do you know the boatload of money they would park on his lawn? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, truly, like, that would be the greatest payday he ever got in his entire life. He's not doing it. So yeah. uh, Halloween 3 is the closest thing to, to a John Carpenter sequel to the original Friday the 13th. In regards to, look, in regards to the Friday 13th franchise, here's the thing. Um, there are those of us in, in the series that took big swings, okay? Um, part six is a big swing. That's a big swing, okay? 
and Tommy McLaughlin and I are friends. Um, I, I, I think he's, I think he's amazing. He's, he's one of my favorite people. And, um, Tommy and I've had, and, and I've had long talks about this. We we're actually just in Jersey, uh, a few months ago at a con signing next to each other. We we're uh, the whole weekend just signing next to each other. Um, and so we got to talk about this a lot and look, you know, m making Jason a, um, you know, a zombie, and not only a zombie, but almost like a Frankenstein's monster-inspired zombie in part six. That's a big swing. And for me, that's my favorite of the franchise. Part six is always my favorite movie. Part two is my second favorite. Jason mm -hmm. Goes to Hell comes in third. So I'm I'm not I'm not an egomaniac who's like, my movie's the best movie in the franchise. <laughs> um, but but here's the thing. Um I I not only took a big swing, but I took a big swing on behalf of the fandom because, you know, what you, I don't know whether you guys know or not, but I mean, I was there for the first Friday 13th movie. I was 11, but I was there. Um, and I was best friends with, uh, with Noel Cunningham, Sean Cunningham's son. Oh, wow. Uh, growing up. And so I grew up in the house of Sean Cunningham and I grew up with Wes Craven. We all called him uncle Wes with Harry Manfredini, with Tom Savini, all these oh, guys, wow. these were my, these were the people I hung out with as a child. So I, I was there intimately through this. Sean Cunningham hated the idea of Jason Voorhees. I mean, he hated it <laughs> because Sean Cunningham never met an idea that a more successful filmmaker had that he wouldn't steal and call his own. Okay. He wanted to make tales of the most unlucky day of the year. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to do exactly what Carpenter wanted to do. He oh, wanted wow. to tell stories of Friday 13th. He did not. Guys, Jason Voorhees is barely a character in the first movie. He pops out at the end in a scene ripped off from the original Carrie. Okay. Because that I made never, a lot I of money. Of it that way. But that's <laughs> literally. And I've literally, seen it a hundred times. Sean Cunningham was like, the end of Carrie made that movie infamous and ton of money. Sean, Sean was all about, look, here's the thing. I don't even think Sean would tell you he's a great director. Sean's not a great director. Sean, Sean literally will tell you to your face. I have no style. I don't understand style. Okay. He has great filmmakers around him who would contribute beautiful stuff to his work. The cinematography of the first Friday 13th is gorgeous. Like that's a beautiful mm. looking movie, right? Really haunting, interesting imagery. That's not Sean. That's a great DP. Sean is to this day, one of the best producers I ever worked with. Sean knows how to put together the elements. So when this incredible um, script comes across his desk and remember, let's, let's take that script for, for the moment. Victor Miller, who just won the lawsuit and finally got the rights back to his to his project. Mm -hmm. Victor Miller wrote this script. It's basically an American remake of Bay of Blood. That's all it is, right? It's pretty much the same movie, okay? It's a pot boiler. It's an Agatha Christie mystery, right? It's Ten Little Indians. Oh, even and carrying over to fr Friday 2 with uh, the uh, totally. bed impalement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So now you've got you've got this this script that's really good, and Sean's got this great title, right? So he puts Friday the Thirteenth on this screenplay, and then starts to reverse engineer things. He goes, "Well, that Dawn of the Dead thing looks amazing. The effects are incredible. Let's get that guy." And he gets Tom Savini on board. Okay, then he's like, "Carrie made a shit ton of money. It has that ending. Let's do that." 
So he he truly starts reverse engineering how to make this movie successful. He's not concerned about making great art. That's not where Sean's head was at. Sean wanted to make kids movies. And if you look at the 70s, if you look at his whole career during the 70s, he made all of these like kids movies that all failed because they were basically bad ripoffs of Bad News Bears. Here Come the Tigers, literally. <laughs> it's like the same title, okay? Um, so that's what Sean wanted to do because, look, remember, Sean started, he, his first film was Pornography. It was a movie called Together, which is a straight-up porn movie. He <laughs> discovered Marilyn Chambers, who went to my high school, right? Wow. Um, my buddy Noel played Marilyn Chambers' love child in that movie. It was her baby because she had, you know, premarital sex and this whole thing. Um, oh, wow. So Right. Then him and Wes go and make Last House and Left. Now, Last House and Left becomes this juggernaut, right? Like, it makes all this money. All that's great. The problem is, Wes and Sean, do you know how many times those guys have denounced that film? <laughs> Because people looked at them and went, well, these two guys are the devil. Like, I don't yeah. want to be around these dudes, right? Like a snuff-type so, film kind exactly. of. Yeah. yeah. So Sean immediately runs to make children's films, right? He's like, I'm going to make kid movies. I'm not going to. I don't I don't need I any of this. <laughs> right. And when all of that fails, Sean is like, well, the one time I had real success was Last House on the Left. So maybe I won't go that deviant and sick with it this time. But I got to up the ante on the effects, right? So he builds this movie. Now, here's the thing. Guys, when, when the movie makes an unbelievable amount of money, Paramount comes to him and goes, we want a sequel. He's like, great. Well, let's do a movie about a different Friday the 13th. They went, no, you know that kid in the lake? He's like, what kid in the lake? You know, the one who jumps up at the end. He's like, you mean the dead kid? The 30-year-old dead kid in the lake. They're like, yeah. We want to make the movie about him. He was like, you want to do what now? And then they put the sack on his head. Sean was like, great. It's Elephant Man the Killer? What is this? Guys, yeah. when... when yeah. I'm sorry, which I mean, anybody that's seen the town, that the original town that read Sundown, you know. Yes. Yep. Yes. A few years earlier. And, that was, and that's a true story. Dude, and I love Sackhead Jason. I'm a big fan oh, yeah. of Sackhead Jason. That mm. shit is scary, right? But then you go to part three and they put the, the they they do the hockey mask. Sean hated the hockey mask so much, like it's on record over and over again how much he fucking hated the hockey mask. But it was stupid. He's like, what is this? The, it's a <laughs> summer camp and the guy's wearing a fucking ice hockey mask. Like, what well, this is isn't going to be marketable. Right. Okay. Now, by the way, in all of this, right? Because this is the way, and again, you said earlier about the studio getting involved, right? Okay. So now think about it. The end of Friday the 13th is a little boy, is a still, you know, 11 year old. Jason Voorhees jumping out of Crystal Lake. How do I know how old he is? Because Ari Lehman played the part who I went to school with. So it's a little boy. So that kid's been in the lake for almost 30 years. And he jumps up. So, okay, great. He's like some kind of zombie ghost kid who lives in the lake. Got it. Cool. But somehow in two weeks between part one and part two, because chronologically they're two weeks apart, that kid not only gains 120 pounds of pure muscle, he grows about a foot and a half. He gets clothes that fit him, somehow tailor-made. 
he learns to read because the only way we could find out where anybody lived back then was going to the white pages. <laughs> mm -hmm. He finds a car, <laughs> learns how to drive. I love when people get on Michael Myers about learning how to drive. At least he was in an institution where he could watch things. Yeah. Jason's been at the bottom of a lake. He learns how to drive. <laughs> then, then he takes his mother's severed head, goes to this woman's apartment. <laughs> he then cleverly sets up a ruse he takes the head puts it in the fridge and tiptoes back away from the kitchen <laughs> for alice to come in and find the head oh my god and now yes, i'm gonna stand standing up. over there in the corner yeah. <laughs> with excitement right. so the minute that somebody actually talks about the logic of this stuff you go oh wait a second what okay so where i came in with all of this right Forget about the fact that, you know, four movies later, he's going to be zombie Jason, resurrected by lightning from the sky. <laughs> um, I came in and went, okay, I love these movies. Like, I freaking love these movies. So, not unlike everyone who went to see Star Wars in 1977 and said, wait a second, hang on. They put in a three meter hole into the Death Star that if you just shoot one shot into it, it blows up the whole fucking thing. Who would mm -hmm. do that? Yeah. Not unlike that, I went, okay, I can fix this Jason Voorhees problem. So what I do is I say, great, Pamela Voorhees would have done anything to resurrect her son, right? She would have done anything to have her Jason back. That's her whole reason for living. That's why she's murdering all these peoples because her heart is so broken from losing her Jason. Great. So I said, great. So why wouldn't she get the book of the dead? Why wouldn't she actually try to resurrect her son? And I always yeah. love when people are like, the, the Necronomicon from the book of the dead is in one place. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You know how many Necronomicons there are, you lunatic? So the, but, but, you Tell know, them, just watch Evil Dead 1 and... Right. Evil Dead too, and you'll be even more confused. <laughs> right. And and by the way, and by the way, I, I love this one. Well, I mean, Jason's not a deadite. The rules of a deadite are I'm like, oh shut your damn mouth. Great. He's not a deadite. How, how about he's a revenant? How about that? Can we go there. Jack yeah. Let's, uh, so I love when people throw that at me, like they like they're scholars of HP Lovecraft and the Necronomicon. I'm like, okay, oh my go. goodness. Just yep. on you guys, it's been Bruce Campbell under the mask all these years. Yeah, right? But by the way, no, but what I'm trying to do is I'm actually trying to Scooby-Doo this shit where I put Scooby-Doo and Batman and the Harlem Globetrotters all in the same fucking universe. Where I'm Don't like, forget Buck Rogers. <laughs> and I'm like, how cool would it be if suddenly she uses the Necronomicon to resurrect her son? But now you've got this 11-year-old um, handy capable child at the bottom of a dark lake waking up in the darkness, in the cold dark of the bottom of that lake, not mm. knowing where the fuck he is, right? And this kid tied under by the by the overgrowth and brambles of all of these years. And one of the first things he sees is he sees his mother at the lakeside get her head cut off. Well, that's the thing that's gonna make me go into a rage and go to the surface, right? And that's what would make me pull Alice under the water at the end of the film. That makes sense, right? And now he's part of, he's Hell's assassin. He's this thing created by evil 
Well, now if he gains 120 pounds, I'm not bothered by that. Now, if he does have a thinking brain that does all these things, I'm not bothered by that. All of that makes sense to me all of a sudden. So I've always thought, you know, <laughs> in retrospect, Jason Goes to Hell is the Rogue One of the Friday the 13th franchise. Yes. We're an entire movie there to fill that mistake, but also to give the to give the legend something more than just a, you know a wrestler in a hockey mask chopping up kids. Like, how about make it more interesting? And again, I'm a huge fan of these films. I wanted it to be awesome. I didn't. I wasn't trying to like shit on the other movies. I was actually trying <laughs> to make the other movies make sense so that I, I, as a fan, would go great. Now I buy all of his cunning. Now I buy who Jason is. So that's no, that's and, and that makes sense. Um, if nothing I, else, I think it. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was going to say, if nothing else, Jason Goes to Hell has aged very well. I, I still have my unrated VHS. Oh dang! You got the Beautiful. VHS. I have a Beautiful. DVD. <laughs> I've watched it on Laserdisc too. Yeah, I got I got that right up there, man. I got the Laserdisc. Absolutely, that's like ten pound disc. The... Yeah, DVD. Yeah. Hey, by the way, if you guys have not seen the Scream Factory uh, disc of uh, Jason Goes Hell the Blu-ray, guys, it is insane. It's Mike's it got it. Badass. It's badass. It's so good. I gotta I gotta check it out. Oh, they did a beautiful job. We we spent they spent like two years on it, and there's tons of extras. It's really good. You know, uh, uh, it's great to see that movie getting some love. <laughs> it is. Thank you. It is. Um, I did watch another movie of yours, um, yeah. Conspiracy. Uh-huh. I watched that um I guess the other day, and um it's an actually real good movie. What made you want to make that or uh, decide to go in that route oh, with action, I guess, or right? You know what I mean? Sure. Um, well, look, here's the thing. I've I've done a I've done a I've done movies in a lot of different genres. I mean, the movie I made right after Jason Goes to Hell, I wrote a bunch of horror films for the studios, and then uh, I went off and made a movie with my brother called Let It Snow, which is a romantic comedy that was a yeah. huge Sundance <laughs> hit, right? So, like, I've done. Here's the thing. Um, as a storyteller, I did not want to be pigeonholed. I had no interest in that. It was like, I don't want to be, look, here's the thing. Right after Jason Goes to Hell, I got offered so many sequels. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Pumpkinhead 2. Oh, wow. Um, Leprechaun back to the hood. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, guys. Oh, you, 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 <laughs> missed, you missed a gym there, buddy. Oh, <laughs> man. Amityville, Amityville 97. I mean, I like they oh, kept man. coming. And I was like, I don't want to be a guy who's got a part number at the end of every film title that I make. Like, I just don't want to do that. And look, the great thing about Jason Goes to Hell is that it's not called Friday the 13th Part 9. You know, it, it has its own title. It's got a title, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't want to be a sequel guy for my whole life. While, by the way, I'm very proud of the movies that I made, and I'm very excited that, that I got to do those. Um, I want to do other things. So look, by the way, horror is where my heart is no matter what. Um, but with conspiracy, what had happened was, um, uh, my wife, Deborah and I had written that script as a, as a spec and we were at ICM at the time and a producer who worked with our agent had read the script and handed it to, to Val Kilmer mm -hmm. and Val called and was like, I want to do this movie. Like, I love this screenplay. And then he watched 
he had actually been at Sundance and seen Let It Snow, had seen my romantic comedy, and was like, this guy's a crazy cool filmmaker. Like, I want to work with him. Um, and that's kind of how it happened. By the way, that script, that was the first draft of the movie. Like, I did a little bit of touching up with Val. That's it. Um, oh, wow. Truly, three months after we wrote it, we were off to go make it. So it was a crazy fast production schedule. That being said, um, look, uh, give me, you know, after the interview, give me your, your, your direct email and I'll send you the director's cut of that movie. It's a much better film. Oh, um, cool. yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's a much better movie. Uh, but uh, sadly, working with Val Kilmer was the single worst experience of my career. And I almost, <laughs> I almost left the industry over it. I almost, I almost walked away from filmmaking entirely. Uh, like, give God. me all the grief you want. You know what? Jason goes to hell. But well, that scratches my I can't next do Val, question. Man. <laughs> that, that scratched my next question out. Well, six literally, guys. Six days. Six days into shooting the movie, Val is high and drunk, both on my set. He's four hours late getting to set because he's so high and drunk, and he um, kicks me in the nuts right on set. Lands me. I literally land on the ground. The medics have to come in. Just, just. Holy by the way, we didn't have a, we didn't have an argument. We didn't have a fight. He wanted to show me he had gotten the first pair of Crocs in Santa Fe, New Mexico. These white <laughs> plastic shoes. He was very excited to show me his bath shoes, and I was setting up a shot. And see, there you go. Some some beautiful Crocs, right? Yeah. So yeah. Val had Val had the very first pair in, in Santa Fe. And he was very excited about these shoes. And uh, and I said, hang on a sec, Val, one second. And I was setting up a shot with my cinematographer. And the next thing you know, uh, uh, a grown-ass man kicked me in the nuts um, <laughs> with his Crocs. So that's wild. That's and that's, wild. by the way, that's day six of the shoot, guys. That's day six. <laughs> Sorry, I brought up this movie. <laughs> no, please don't tell no, me on day seven way. he showed up drunk with Marlon Brando. Guy, guys, wait, no, no, no. He thinks, hold on, he thinks he is Marlon Brando. Oh, he thinks that he, would explain the discrepancies between the two on the yes. uh, island of yep. Dr. Moreau said. He yeah. thinks he's taken in, in some shamanistic way, his essence into Val. Val told me this story. When wow. Marlon died, he felt he took his essence into him. I'm like, kind of okay. like Highlander. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, apparently, <laughs> he won. And I just and I just looked at Val and said, "Man, can you, I mean I can tell that you're eating the number of cheeseburgers that he ate, but other than that, <laughs> I'm not seeing it, brother." Um, by the way, by the way, here's the really the, the shameful thing about it is that he's um, he is a a brilliant actor. Uh, mm -hmm. The guy is super talented. The problem is he has no respect for his own talent, and he's literally said those words to me that he has wow. no respect for his talent because it's too easy for him. And here's the thing, like when people call him a great actor, I'm like, no, he's not a great actor because the way he treated his co-stars on my set was so despicable, was so awful. The way he treated the, his female lead opposite him, yeah. um, making Jennifer, her yeah. Jennifer Esposito, who mm -hmm. is one of the finest human beings I've ever worked with. She's amazing. He made her cry on my set so many days where I'm like literally like pulling Jen off to the side and she's like hugging me and crying. And I'm looking at Val like, you're such a dick, man. Um, 
Gary Cole, who is uh, a genius who plays the villain in, in yeah. Conspiracy, which is ironic that he's the <laughs> villain and Val's the good guy. Um, Gary Cole, who famously was in Office Space. So like anytime we'd be at lunch and someone in the crew would invariably ask him like, hey, tell me I got to stay on Saturday. Tell me you got to come <laughs> in on Saturday. And Gary would immediately, right. without, 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 cha- like, without a beat missing, he would just go, mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna need you to come uh, in on Saturday. <laughs> like immediately, That's it was so amazing, cool. right? So, so Gary, Gary Cole, who's who's just a badass. Um, he uh, uh, Val would never stay to do his coverage. So Gary would be there when Val would be doing a scene, right? We'd turn the camera around to go to Gary, and Val would leave. He'd just leave. So. I'd have to bring in Val's stunt double or his photo double, or I would give the lines to Gary so that Gary. And again, this is this is a guy who was the head of the Steppenwolf Theater. This is a genius actor from Chicago who's like a just a badass and an amazing has an unbelievable career. And Val's not sticking around for the cover. It, it mm-hmm. guys, it's like it's it's mind boggling. He's like, Bell, I thought you were going to be there. He's like, shit, Ricky, I was high when I said that. <laughs> I literally, guys, I have a, I, I have an entire book that I'm writing about that experience with, with Val. Oh, so wow. Uh, We've yeah. got to check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. But I'm glad you brought it up. Nobody, very rarely do people bring up conspiracy. And by the way, there's stuff in that movie I'm very proud of. My wife is wonderful in that movie. I'm in that movie. Yeah. Um, and by the way, the only reason I'm in the movie is because Val asked me to be in the movie <laughs> you're like okay that <laughs> was like because he had seen my work and other stuff and he's like look you're a good actor i want to work with you like let's work together i was like great let's do it once again when we were shooting val's coverage i was there working with him and then the minute they turned the camera around val would leave they're like okay <laughs> i guess it was great working with you okay bye um so no there's there look i i also you know one of the things that i do in la is i run my own studio space and I work with uh, 50 actors every week. I, I train, I've trained actors and directors for most of my career. And they're my skeleton crew. They're my team. They're my, my theater works company. And uh, I had 26 of my actors in that movie. So there's a ton of people that like put in like badass performances. Like I love the work in that movie. Um, it's just the guy who was at the center of it was, uh, you know, a nightmare the worst 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 actor i've ever worked with wow yeah hands down hands down the devil anyway <laughs> um the devil wears crocs it, uh, it, it, really does. <laughs> it really does um i did want to touch on an, another film of yours yeah, yeah. um uh, secret santa yeah hell yeah so uh i i guess i know um there was one year I went, and in the month of December, I went and just watched all these horror movies that were Christmas-based, and I came across your movie. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you want to touch on that one a little sure. bit? Uh, yeah. Sure, man. Yeah. Well, what had happened with Secret Santa was um, it was um, 
it was 2015 when my producing partner, a guy named Brian Sexton, who's my best friend for the last decade, he actually, he and I, he and I met um, making Conspiracy, actually. He was the associate producer on that film. It was the first movie he associate produced. And he was the only pr producer in the team that was like on my side, protecting me from what was going on. Um, and he hated working with the people he was working with. I was tired of getting kicked in the nuts and having people write, do your thing, cuz, in my movies. Um, and so he and I and my wife, Deborah got together and said, look, let's form our own company. Let's make stuff that we really believe in. And he came to me uh, October 30th, uh, 2015. It was like, hey, I just got back from the American film market. Everybody needs horror movies. So we need to make something immediately. Like, let's like, like, let's just jam something out. I was like, OK, cool. He said, what do you have that we can make for no money? Like, oh, dude. <laughs> um, so I go look at our scripts and there was nothing that fit the bill. And I said, all right, give me, give me, give me an hour. He's like, okay. So I call up one of my acting troupe and I say, Hey, uh, you know that house you have in big bear? She's like, yeah. I said, okay, listen, um, remember how you told me I could shoot anything I want there? She's like, absolutely. I said, great. I got a movie I want to make and I want to shoot it in the first two weeks of January. Uh, I want you to be in it, and can you go to your neighbors and just ask if everybody can keep up all their Christmas decorations through Martin Luther King Day? They just won't take anything down. So she's like, no problem. She goes, she calls back 20 minutes later. She's like, everybody said they're totally in. They'll keep their decorations up. I said, great. Oh, awesome. So now I got my location, and I'm set dressed. So I've just saved us a shit ton of money. Yeah. Everything's set <laughs> to go. Great. I rented the two houses on either side of her house for the for the couple of weeks so I could house everybody in those houses. And uh, I called up all the actors that I knew that I would want to work with on that kind of a project, made sure they were available those first two weeks of, of January. I said, great. I knew who my cast was. On October 31st, I went to my partner. I said, I got an idea. Got an idea for a movie. Let me jam out a script. So Deb and I took 20 days starting on October 31st on Halloween night. We started writing Secret Santa. 20 days later, we had, a, we had a first draft. We did a table read of the movie. We did a second draft, have a table read three days later. Brian greenlit the project, was like, this is fucking badass. I love this movie. We spent a month pre-producing the movie and shot it in 12 days. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, literally from the time we came up with the idea, it was 10 weeks till we were in the can. Um, and it was, it is to this day, the single best experience I've ever had making a movie. It was insane. It was insane. Um, it, it was, and it was everything that I've always wanted to do as a, as a filmmaker, as a producer, as a director. Um, it, it was a team of people that are so, that all have each other's backs that are committed to making things in like this kind of family situation. You know, I came out of the theater in New York. That was sort of where I, where I started. I, I had two theater companies when I was growing up that were my companies that actually paid my way through NYU when I went to school. Um, and so I love working with a company of people that are all there to just be artists and like do something cool. And Skeleton Crew, my company with, with my partners, Deborah and Brian, um, that company is all about the fan. Look, I, I'm, I'm not somebody who believes in like, heh, 
there's this whole sort of notion around family that like these are the people you love till the day you die. You have each other's backs. This is your bond. And I kind of go, isn't that a little bit of bullshit? Like, doesn't everybody have people in their family? They're like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, you're a dick. <laughs> and just because we're born into the same group, that means I have to that no. For me, your family are the people you choose. And by the way, that might be the people you're born with. That might be that group of people. But it for me, it's like you have a tribe of friends that become your family over time. And that includes, you know, your spouse, that includes your children. By the way, sometimes even your kids are dicks. <laughs> you know, and I love that like nobody ever talks about this stuff. Like somehow, yeah. like we're not supposed to no, 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 your kid can be a fucking asshole. Like that <laughs> happens. And you're like, wow, what did I do wrong? And sometimes you didn't do anything wrong. And you're like, no, you're just a dick. You were born a dick. Oh no, they, um, yeah, that yeah. They, they they either come by it honestly or <laughs> they learn right? on their own. Right. They improvise. They improvise. No, I, uh, I love that everybody right. blames the parents. I'm like, no, he was an asshole when he first showed up. That guy was not great. Not great. Not a great kid. No. I love how you put that. No one really talks about it. You're, you're right. I lo love my kids to death. Do anything for them. Right. But they're acting right. like an idiot. I'm going to tell them. They're not like little special angels or <laughs> right and i actually and i actually think if we all if we all did that a little bit more you know i actually think the world might be a slightly better place um, yeah so so skeleton crew became this filmmaking family and that allowed me to work in a way that was so freeing and you know to that in that family you know bob kurtzman who you know the k of k and b effects bob kurtzman you know, started with me on Jason Goes to Hell. He did all the effects in that movie. And, you know, Howard Berger is a genius and he did a ton of that stuff and that whole team. And Greg Nicotero budgeted the crap out of it and made sure we could actually pull all that stuff off. But, you know, Bob Kurtzman has been like a brother to me for most of my life now. And uh, I called Bob up and I was like, listen, dude, I want to go make this movie. I got no money. He's like, yeah, yeah, I've heard it before. I said, no, 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 you're not hearing me. I have no money. <laughs> he said, he said, send me, the, uh, send me the script. So I sent him the script. I, no joke. 90 minutes later, he called me. He was like, I'm in. I'm a hundred percent in. I was like, wow, really? He's like, That's yeah. Awesome. And I said, hey, dude, how do you feel? Because Bob's a director. He, you know, he directed Wishmaster and a bunch of other terrific movies. And I said, how do you feel about running second camera for me? You want to you run a camera? And he said, he, like, there was this pause, and he goes, well, shit, now I feel like I should be paying you. <laughs> he was so excited. <laughs> and Bob and I are doing, like, three other projects together right now. And, again, he's my brother. That's, that's a guy I choose to be my brother, you know? Yeah. And he has my back. Like, I was literally just on the phone with him. Him and his wife are, oh, my God. They're stuck in, <laughs> in, in uh, in Bermuda, I think they're in Bermuda. Yeah, um, she has COVID, and they are oh, they're no. quarantined for two weeks on vacation at their at their hotel. Yeah, I know. I'm like, you got yeah. to be kidding me, brother. Yeah, <laughs> that's oh, it's, a good it's, place it's, to be stuck. Exactly. <laughs> hey, by the way, there's so many people who have COVID that the hotel has an area, has a courtyard where all the people who have COVID can hang out, so they're they can quarantine together because they're all sick. So at least like they're watching movies together, they're hanging out. So it's like, all right, well, there's worse ways to do it. So I yeah, that's good. 
But I was just on the phone with him this morning because we're going to do another project. We just found another thing we're going to do together. So, uh, you know, it, it, that's what Skeleton Crew is about. That's kind of the concept behind it. When it comes to the movie, Secret Santa is, um, you know, the most uh, politically incorrect, badass, uh, you know, kill your family at the dinner mm-hmm. table kind of movie. <laughs> it's just this like insane, bloody, awesome flick. Um so much so, I, 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 there, there are, um, there are all these artists now that are doing like artwork based on the movie. Like, there's all this like crazy stuff that I'm getting in the mail from people. Oh, wow. Like, it's become a thing. And in fact, it, it's feature, it's going to be featured in a book that's coming out from England that I just contributed to um, of the best Christmas horror movies ever made which was crazy. They, they contacted me. They're like, we love this film. We, you know, and then, uh, have you guys ever seen Christmas evil? Oh, uh, yes. Yes. yes okay. I love it. Right. So in the arrow, uh, in the new disc of Christmas evil, um, inside the, the disc, there's a booklet called the 12 sleighs of Christmas. And again, arrow video isn't doing our movie like that. They have nothing to do with us. They put us as number nine of the best Christmas horror films ever made. And I'm like, man like what is happening like <laughs> i'm like this is nuts so it's um yeah it's it's one of those movies that's like the little movie that could and uh you know we were at we were at 25 film festivals around the world and sitches um fright fest both glasgow and london we were the first movie the fright fest ever released in the uk we were the very first movie that they actually did the releasing on so yeah it's um awesome. it's one it's a tiny movie. We, we literally made the movie for $35,000. Wow. It was the entire budget for the film. Um, it was a SAG movie. It was Producers Guild and Writers Guild. Um, we did everything by the book and proved that we could. And that's a big, look, you know, Skeleton Crew has three divisions. We've got our big budget division, which I'm making a, a huge movie uh, in March um, that, that Dev and I wrote that I'm directing. That is um a kind of an action thriller uh sort of raid redemption with three women stuck in a building that's a white that's a that's a um a human trafficking ring uh and these women have to get and these women have to get out of this building um that seems interesting that 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 interests me i like i like movies like that too Love that. It's based on a true story, actually. So it's kind of a crazy, crazy situation. So uh, so we have a big budget division. We have a TV division, which we have a new TV series that's so badass. I can't talk about it yet, but I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> and then uh, and then we've got our low our, our low budget division, which I call the where the hell did Roger Corman go division? Um, <laughs> because I don't. There are so many brilliant voices out there that have not gotten a shot, that have just not gotten a chance to 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 say what they want to say. And you know, something we were talking about earlier, and Cody and I were, were talking about before the podcast. Um, you know, there's a glut of stuff out there, right? Because everybody has access to, you know, look, you know, when 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 I was a kid, I didn't have a movie studio in my pocket. You know, I wish I had. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, my life would have been very different. But you can shoot, write, edit, sound design, and distribute your movie from a freaking phone. Like, that's possible now, you know? The problem is, it's sort of the Jeff Goldblum quote from from Jurassic Park. They were so busy (laughs) figuring out if they could do it, they didn't figure out should they do it. (laughs) Um, 
And and it's like it's like you know, being a good storyteller is a skill set, and it's something that you get better at the more you do it. But also, there's training. Like I went to school for this, and I, by the way, I went to school after I'd already been working for Sean Cunningham for a decade. So I had and and had run two theater companies. So I I I came to storytelling very early on. And then got educated in it because I wanted to be good at it. Like I, I wanted to have pride in it. It wasn't like I just wrote my first screenplay when I was 12 and handed it to my mom and went, mommy, aren't I awesome? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not in- like, yeah, it's not like it's something that you, you ever really complete your education on, you know, it's, Never. it's a continuing process. Yes. Yes. And the thing is, do you know how many like amazing screenwriters are out there that are produced that have made 10 films and no one will give them a chance to direct? Wow. And I'm like, that's right. just effed up. And so um, one of the things that Skeleton Crew is doing is we're finding new voices. We're finding young filmmakers. We're also finding older filmmakers who've never been given a chance to actually tell the stories they want to tell and the things they're capable of. And what we do is we go, great, you have a very limited budget, but make your movie. We're not going to tell you the movie you're making. You're going to make it. And it's been really cool because we're working with a ton of like really brilliant, interesting filmmakers, people from all over the world too. We, we've got, we've got a, um, uh, a brilliant young French filmmaker. She is amazing. Um, and she's known in France as an, as an actress, but she's an extraordinary, extraordinary storyteller. And all she's gotten to make so far are shorts and documentaries. And I was like, you know, you need to make a feature. You're badass. So we're constantly sort of on the lookout for this kind of stuff. We're doing, um, we're doing a new movie called Fat Camp Massacre. Um, oh, wow. That, yeah. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, is, that is for people of size what Get Out was for people of color. Um, it is a big F you to body dysmorphia and to the last place that people can just out and out make fun of each other. Um, and, uh, and it's amazing because we've got this group of uh, incredible female filmmakers alongside the skeleton crew team who have put this thing together. And guys, I'm telling you, it's like, it's like, first off, it's the single goriest movie I've ever had anything to do with. It's crazy. Now I gotta see this one. There is a scene in this movie <laughs> that I am telling you, every person who reads the script gets to the scene and goes, Oh. No, you can't show that. And I'm like, oh, we're going to show it. We're showing that. It, um, if, if Tom Six can have human centipede, yes, I, 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 I'm still human centipede. Uh, second sequence still haunts oh, me dude. to this day, dude. That movie is so. You know what's so funny? People all got up in arms about part one, right? About human centipede. Yeah. Human centipede is tame. That is a tame movie. Like, I'm like, wow. I mean, by the way, in a good way, not in a bad way. Like, it's actually kind of tastefully done for such a disgusting idea. It's kind of tasteful. Second sequence? Oh, my God. Like, he was like, I've done the the tasteful version. Now now deal with my shit. I mean, it's like, wow, bro. Whoa. It it is... and that's how I, I describe it to people when I say, because they say, oh, I saw part one. I said, you didn't see nothing yet. Yeah. You need to see part two. It's gritty, disgusting. I mean, you, you go from a doctor 
to some guy that just has a toolbox oh. full of just pl- – I mean, it stays with me when to this day. When he's stapling then- people to each other, oh, you're like, God. okay, bro, bro. And the baby the baby under the gas pedal is like, I mean, come on. Come That's, on, man. Oh, my God. Yeah, that. So, by the way, by the way, uh, <laughs> Fat Camp Massacre is not yeah, quite no. in that in that level of bad taste. It's not really yeah. a bad taste, but but there there is stuff in there that is really shocking, and that's also, you know, really um, the other thing about about Skeleton Crew, and it, it's a mandate that we try to really adhere to, and we've been lucky enough to be able to do so so far. Every movie has to be saying something. You know, look, I, I, I was raised on things like George Romero and Night of the Living Dead and, and Dawn of the Dead. You know, the great thing about Night of the Living Dead, people look at it now and they go, oh, you know, it's the first zombie movie and it's a great zombie movie and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, first off, it's not the, it's not the first zombie movie, kids, because I'm literally the guy write, writing and directing the remake of I Walk with the Zombie, Val Luton's movie from the 40s. Um, but... Uh, George Romero did not make a zombie movie. He made a movie that was a reaction to the Vietnam War. He made a movie about the civil rights movement. And when you look at it through that lens, you're like, oh my God, this guy, this guy was really giving us this giant bunch of vegetables that he covered in ice cream. So you're eating the ice cream and you don't realize I'm eating all this salad underneath, you know? And then you cut to Dawn of the Dead Dawn of the Dead is about American consumerism run amok. Oh, yeah. Right? That's what the movie is. That's why it's so great. That's why it's legendary. There's been tons of movies about zombies. There's only one George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Only one. And I don't care if they remake it. I don't care how many times they remake I don't care. It's never going to do what he was doing because the filmmakers are not thinking about that part of it. They're only Mm -hmm. thinking about the cool effects they can pull off and how many zombies and how fast they move. Great. But say something, right? You got to say something. And so that's one of the things Skeleton Crew is committed to. Um, Even with Secret Santa, you know, there's a ton of, um, of content in that movie that's about family and about politics and about all of the things that people argue over and get crazy over within a family culture um, that that's what I was turned on by. I'm, I, I can kill people all day long. Like that's, that's been my writing career is just murdering teenagers. Like I know how to do that. Great. But I want to say something alongside of all that. Yeah. That's and, what our movies do. Yeah. The, the beautiful thing about it is, you know, like Romero, you're talking about Romero, you know, he had all these messages that woven into the story, but he did it in a subtle way. And that's, I think that's the biggest turnoff for me with mainstream Hollywood films right now. They just yep. beat you over the head with their message. They, they don't let you decide for yourself, you know. They don't yep. just plant the seed, you know. Right. They're, they're going to shove the tree up your ass. That's right. Yeah. And that's not the way to do it, man. you got to give people, you got to give them the idea they're eating dessert. And somewhere mm. in there is something healthy. But yeah. it can't. Entertainment it can't. first. Right. Right. Have a message second. Couldn't agree more. But here's the thing. Be more in love with the story you're telling than the shot you're getting. Because a lot of stuff that looks real pretty now, but it's so freaking empty story-wise. And no, man, have something to say. 
And that's where, you know, the tradition of storytellers learning their craft. Look, you know, and look, we're in a very different, we're in a very different world now. You know, back when, you know, guys like Martin Scorsese were coming up, Martin Scorsese made five movies that most people don't even know exist before he made Taxi Driver. He didn't just jump in to his yeah. De Niro phase, you know? <laughs> he, made, he made a lot of movies that you'd be like, wow, this is not for me. Well, he's learning how to be a filmmaker. He's learning how to tell stories. Same with Francis Coppola, same with Jonathan Demme, same with any of the great filmmakers of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. They, they learned their craft by making things, you know? Ron Howard didn't just become a great filmmaker. Ron Howard was a, was a terrific actor who watched a lot of other directors who watched a lot of filmmakers and then Roger Corman let him make some movies about you know racing cars too quickly and acting the fool <laughs> you know and that's what he did in order to learn how to tell a story yeah you're right that's that's that hits it on the head I mean more more now than ever we need stuff like that yeah you know um, Big time. I, I think uh and I hope it doesn't happen, but it kind of already is with certain types of art. People are scared and it's like, if you're not scared, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> like yep. you gotta be, yep. you gotta yeah. be a little bit fearless. Um, and totally don't agree. be afraid. And, and there are people out there, believe it or not, that think like you and that would enjoy it. That would enjoy that. what you're making music wise, whatever you do. Absolutely. And I, I don't want to see that go away. Of course, I'm 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 totally against you know being a an asshole to people, but I'm I am 100 all for someone creating something and being able to say what they want to say. You bet. So, you bet. Uh, but I agree with you. Yeah, ice cream and then hide, hide something good in there. So that's right. I, I like that analogy. That was it. I like that. That's good. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's, it's, look, it's how it's a, honestly as a, as a filmmaker, it's how I live my life now, and it and it's and it's super important. It's like, you know, if if you don't have anything to say, then sit down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's too many there's too many people out there who can who can tell a really fun, great story, but can do it. Look, look at the movies of uh, you know of David Cronenberg or even John Carpenter. Mm. You know, those movies. I mean, when you look at They Live. Like talk about a like a, a movie with a lot on its mind. My That's God, as relevant as ever, <laughs> completely right. It's amazing. So there's there's a ton of there's a ton of of people out there that can do this job and do it brilliantly. Um, and uh, uh, and I, <laughs> so what? I got kicked out. I guess I saw that. I saw that for a second. I was like, where'd you go? <laughs> um, I just hey, we're professional around here. I just thought you had to run, run and use the restroom or something. I'm no, 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 no. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> right, because you know every great podcaster, you just have a, you know, a cup under the, under the desk. Yeah. <laughs> you thought I was drinking beer? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Here we go. <laughs> oh man. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, yeah. No, I'm no, no, not at all. Not at all. I messed out whatever you were talking about. No, I was just saying, I was just saying that, you know, there, there's, uh, th look, there's just a ton of people with something great to say. And, uh, and I was bringing up John Carpenter and, and things like they live, um, mm -hmm. you know, talk about a political dude, my God, you know, like, well done, well done, sir. 
you know, and a lot to say, and it's still an incredibly entertaining movie. Oh yeah. One entertain of my, us. One of my favorites. That's what we need. You know, that's what we want. We want entertainment. I did have some people. We we have some people in the little chat here. Mm-hmm. Please. Uh, uh, Father Mahoney, he's one of our uh, fellow broadcasters. He says yep. uh, he couldn't. He, what do you say? Hey, can't stay at a Marcus rules. <laughs> ah! Ah, that's awesome. And then Hellions for life. So I I, I got to give old uh, Father Mahoney a shout out. Well, and Hellions, Hellions refers to the documentary that we're making right now about uh, Jason Goes to Hell. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hearts, Hearts of Darkness, Darkness the, the yeah. making of the final Friday. Yeah. Um, uh, um, I, I did. Now. Have you mm-hmm. seen In Search of Darkness those documentary? Yeah, they go. Th- oh man, um, they are. Do you think they'll ever uh, approach you on on any uh, anything coming up? Maybe they're going from the eighties to the nineties because I know you're. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I, I will tell you. Look, there's there there are a lot of times when, especially with the franchise movies, they'll go to like the first couple of people that made these things, and yeah. then they skip out on a lot of us who do later entries. Um, I, I will tell you, look, I mean, I'm, I'm involved in every one of the Friday the 13th documentaries, even though, you know, Crystal Lake Memories spent about like 12 minutes on our film out of four hours. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) And by the, and by the way, just so you know, all of the footage in Crystal Lake Memories, that was all stuff shot for his name was Jason. So they never re-interviewed any of us. They just used the same footage. I've got both of them. And I, I guess it was just such a distance between the two i didn't uh yeah. didn't notice no i and and by the way like i mean when i did his name was jason um i looked like some like i i looked like orson wells like i had i i was like i was not in a good space um and like years later um you know chris lake memories comes out and everybody's seeing me on the street like i just saw you in that doc what happened man i'm like what do you mean what happened what <laughs> Oh, yeah, that shit was shot like eight years ago. Yeah. yeah, that's not, yeah. <laughs> I've changed since then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So a little different, a little different. Um, but uh no, yeah, I I uh I don't know, honestly. I don't know how I don't know what the uh how they kind of approach that stuff. I have been asked more and more recently, and which brought up earlier, Cody, about, you know, like Jason Goes to Hell is becoming sort of a cult film now, and it's getting this different status. Mm-hmm. And in fact, just recently, um, the American Cinematheque honored the movie uh, uh, at a screening in L.A. And the cool. thing, it was the only movie that the American Cinematheque put up last season that was sold out instantaneously. So much so, there was a line of 40 people outside the theater who couldn't get in. Um, who were like waiting if somebody didn't show up for their ticket. Um, it was amazing. I mean, it was insane. I did like an hour and a half with the audience afterwards. We all hung out and joked and we shot all of that for the documentary, by the way, some of that stuff will be in the doc. So more and more people are getting, are kind of jumping on board and I'm getting a lot more requests to do books and all that kind of stuff um, regarding this work. But uh, no, with, J- with, with, with hearts of darkness, I just kind of went, you know what? There's an audience out there that wants this thing. We crowdfunded the movie because I was like, all right, if everybody wants it, let them let them pay for it and then I'll go make the movie. Like I'm happy to go make it. And they did. They like like that. It got funded. So much so, um, it's still getting funded. We literally just got an executive producer Sunday. 
Oh wow! On this roof, <laughs> I was like, "What? The what? I mean, it's amazing, <laughs> and it's awesome because it allows me to like spend more money on the post production of movie and whatnot." But here's the thing: so we we finished the crowdfunding in December of 2019. February of 2020, we start shooting. Right, we're shooting all of February. We start shooting into March, and COVID. Mm. Yes. Yes. And truly, like, we're now limping along to get the last interviews. I, I only needed nine more interviews when we, when in at the beginning of 2020, three months after we were funded, we were almost ready. We were almost done. And those nine interviews are big interviews. And truly, we have not, we've, we've gotten, we've still got four more to go. We've gotten five. We've got four more that we're doing. Um, and again, we were kicking ass at the end of last year and then Omicron. I was like, oh, come on, man, come on. <laughs> um, so we got four more interviews to do and then we're, we're wrapped. And then I let this thing go to post-production and I've got a genius editor, a guy that I, that I grew up with, a guy that I've known since we were 14 years old, um, who now cuts, uh, he cuts all of the amazing race. He cut every fear factor that was ever done. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, he's amazing. And he's also an incredible crime novelist. You know, like, okay, um, <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, there anything he doesn't do? Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> seriously. Um, he makes a hell of a cheesecake. Um, but uh, the guy... Uh, so... I, do you see what I'm saying? Uh, the guy is now... Um, he's going to be editing the film for me. Um, and uh, And I've got some kind of really cool surprises on the music end of the movie now, too. And the fact that an exec producer just came in and infused more cash into the movie, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna uh, the music's gonna be fucking great on this thing. So, go. yeah, so it's it's been um, it's been an amazing journey. But that's where the Hellions thing comes in. That's where Hellions for life because anybody who contributed to the movie is a Hellion. So, so, yeah. <laughs> so Rob Mahoney is one of the Hellions. That's for sure. yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, uh, man, I, I just, uh, I, like I said, I appreciate you coming on here and talking Dude, with us and sharing. Absolutely. And, uh, Cody, did you have anything else you wanted to ask him? or? Uh, I'm. You want me to put you much, on the spot? I heard all I wanted to hear and even more. So, I, mean, yeah. I know. Yeah. I, he, he, yes. Very awesome. Um, was there anything else you wanted to plug, uh, Adam? before we call it a, no, a we're, night? We're, 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 look, the, th the thing about Skeleton Crew is we're, we're always working on about, you know, a dozen projects at any given time. So we're, we're doing a lot of stuff. And, you know, I brought up Fat Camp Massacre and um, we've got this movie Dread that I'm going to be shooting. That's the one down, that, that that's the bigger budgeted film. Um, and uh, yeah, just keep your eyes out. We got, we got a lot of pretty amazing stuff, including a uh, movie I'm working on with Stephen Williams um where uh it's a you know creighton duke inspired movie let's put it that oh, way oh man um, <laughs> so yeah so he and i he and i are working on that right now so we're just cool. doing we're doing a lot of cool stuff yeah that is awesome no yeah. and i i like i said i appreciate your time coming out and 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 feel free to hit us up again We'd love to love keep up with you and and have you back love on it. Oh, by the way, one thing that I should shout out is uh, yes. the great guys. I don't know if you know these guys, Rat Knife. Do you know the, uh, the, the they're they make no. pins? They're like these artists that do these like oh, pins based on movies. Okay, oh, like like, like enamel pins. Yeah. Yes, yes. 
So they're 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 ratknife.com. Um, these guys are so badass, they're they're amazing, and they just made a secret Santa pin. Um, oh man, that is not to be believed. This thing is so insane. They did a limited run. I think there's only a few of them left. Um, but uh they just sent me mine, and I was like, I, I literally <laughs> it was Christmas morning for me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, you guys got to check this thing out. It's amazing. Oh, and we just, uh, um, let's see Herbert. What did Herbert say? <laughs> <laughs> She's your lady because she hadn't tasted the Duke yet. Thank you, Herbert. I'm sorry. Yes. You've been in the chat and, uh, Creighton Duke. Creighton Duke is the, 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 one of the greatest things, uh, one of the greatest creations I ever took part in. Oh yeah. In, in giving birth Duke. To. Love the yeah. Duke. And uh, Roseblood. Have you seen the fan film Roseblood yes. yet? Yep. Yes. I, I was floored by that, that they brought yeah. Matt Creighton. That was oh, yeah. spoiler. It's awesome. But, uh, and I got to tell you, the guys who made Roseblood actually reached out to me about that film when they just started making it. So I gave it my blessing. I was like, go for it, guys. Like, I, yeah, I had so much fun thing. with that. I, I it's awesome. wasn't expecting much going in, and I was like, wow, these guys really have their stuff together. They sure did. <laughs> they sure did. No, I still got to check it out. Look, guys, you know, the the Vin DeSantis of the world, man, they're making some incredible stuff. And again, I actually think, I think for the franchises, because again, I, I think we've run these things. I think they've run their course. I think we need new movies. Like everybody's excited about Scream, which is awesome. And I hope it mm. makes a bajillion dollars. And it's great. But I'm like, can we, can we stop beating these, these old horses to death? And can we start like creating some new fresh content some fresh monsters some fresh slashers to to to, to run around with um, i mean a... scream did it in the 90s you know it did yes it gave it a shot in the arm it's what it, it did, sure did. It sure did. <laughs> the problem though the problem with scream and by the way i was offered scream i was offered the original scream to direct um before wes came on um the minute wes came on i was like well i guess i'm losing this job um <laughs> But uh, but because of Jason Goes to Hell, they the 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 Weinstein's came to me with that script. And here's the thing: the thing about Scream, which I love, I love I love the, those films. Um, it did fuck up the horror genre for a lot of horror filmmakers because it gave all the secrets away. Yeah, it it, it made everything a cliche. It's sort of like when the the blood the blood elevator in The Shining, like mm. Stanley Kubrick fucked up blood for everybody. Because you're yeah. never going to do bigger than that. Like, you can't do it. Like, he did it, right? Well, Wes, when when that movie got made, it was sort of like a magician who tells the audience all the tricks that they do and how they got done. Every other magician is like, shut up, man. Don't tell everybody our trick. <laughs> uh, kind of like when, uh, when uh, New Nightmare came out and they're like, oh, this is neat, Wes. This is how you're doing the meta approach. Just don't do anything. Any, you know, there's a level you don't need to. Right, just don't get don't crazy. Get yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that does that. It that was kind of a interesting move, and yeah, just yeah. like that stupid show Fox used to have the magician's Cody, the right? The, the mask magician. All the magic. Yeah, there you how you did all the tricks. You're like, hey, dude, don't do that. Hey. So, <laughs> yeah. I still want to be amazed somehow. Exactly. Oh, and by man. the way, that's a look. You know, it's the the old adage of you know you don't want to know how the sausage gets made. Like mm -hmm. if you ever see how a sausage gets made, you don't want to eat any more sausage. You're done. You're done with sausage. And that's the thing. Like with filmmaking, some of it has to have some mystique. Um, but 
Look, I, 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 I am, I am thrilled that people are making fan films. I think it's amazing. I think more than fan films, I think young filmmakers and old filmmakers and filmmakers should go out there and make movies, make something. Um, everybody's an armchair critic now. It's like stop being a critic and and actually go do it. Do it. Yeah. I, you know, the reason why, like, I loved, I always loved Roger Ebert as a kid was because Roger Ebert tried to be a filmmaker and he was terrible. He sucked at it, but he tried. He actually went out there and put his own ass on the line. That's a pretty cool thing. You know, film critics who become filmmakers, I'm all good with you because you've, you, you're now you're walking the walk, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I just say, man, you know, again, everybody's got a movie studio in their pocket. So go you're prove, right. you know, you want to tell a story? Ain't, ain't nothing standing in your way but you. Go do it. Go make yep. a movie. You are 100% correct. That's the, I, I, I've said that. I'm like, man, I, 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 I was hoping after all this, this stuff that everybody has been through, yeah. that some, someone somewhere is going to have something very interesting come out of this. And I'm just waiting. Because usually, yes. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, it... It sucks that there's tragedy, but then also look at all, all the stuff that happened before all this and how many great movies were made because of those hard times, those bad Absolutely. times. Absolutely. Absolutely, dude. Yep, it's true. Every one of our golden ages of movie making has come out of tragedy. Yeah. Yep. So it's why, the, it's I, why I, the 70s were incredible. It's why the 70s is the golden age of all movie making. Yeah. As oh, man. Yeah. You're right. So I, I like I said, I'm waiting and mark my words, someone's gonna do something. I'm telling you, it's gonna blow your mind. It. I love it. So uh um, awesome. but yeah, uh I guess the live version of this we'll go, <laughs> we'll call it a night. Uh again, I, I just wanna thank you again for your time and, and your patience with me. Not at all. Not <laughs> at all, time, all good. If you if you come back when you come back, um I'll I'll make sure I'm on time. <laughs> I love it. And Michael will think I'm dead. That's okay. We were kind of, uh, well, I can't speak for Adam, but I was kind of enjoying watching Mike sweat it. We were. It was fun. It was pretty fun. He's like, oh, I can, I, I you know, I see it in my head already. So he, he was doing some chanting. There was like a whole mantra thing happening. It was pretty amazing. Hey, and now, now, you know what? Now he knows how it feels because Rob Mahoney was like that, what, like last, uh, what was it, last year? It was like in November. He fell asleep and he had to do the producing of the show. So Rob's getting a hold of me and I'm like, oh shit, did Michael pass out or something? Or his mom go to the hospital? But anyway. Um, but yeah, thanks again, Adam Marcus. That's awesome. That's Keep your eye out for everything he's going to be doing. And I know I'm excited it, just from half the stuff that you've been describing that you're a part of and that y'all are creating. So uh, good on you and uh, wish you nothing but the best. Thanks, brother.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.